Not quite like one of those moments you remember where you were when this happened, but today was a day without Facebook. So I know people are really on edge without being able to share their pet pictures, their food pictures. And of course, who can forget those lovely political views that no one wants to hear? Welcome to the radio rally on Clubhouse. What you're about to hear is focused on lifting you up giving good advice, hearing stories from some of the most amazing people in radio and uncovering the path forward in radio right now. Today's live event will be a podcast called The Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, and will become available within about an hour, maybe sooner of the end of this actual event, wherever you get your podcast. Our thanks to Joe Kelly for producing our podcast events and JustJoeProductions.com for creating audio footprint and distributing them. Meet our live guest on Clubhouse or subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a thing. That's right. We have two podcasts, the Encouragers Innovation and Audio Podcast and the Encouragers, the Radio Rally Podcast. Both are on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcast today monday october the 4th check out broadway bill lee from wcbs fm in new york city will be joined uh, along with brooks o'brien kson in san diego and kkwf and we cannot wait to hear their stories which i promise we're going to get to very rapidly before we do get started with the guests for today's live event on clubhouse don't forget next monday is october 11th and becky dom ian who is the senior v- vice president market manager for odyssey in greater St. Louis will also be joined on that event by Scott Harold, who's the program director and morning show host of SOS radio in Las Vegas, Nevada. You can see our entire guest list all the way through November. We might be adding some December dates. I'm not sure. You can check it out at rainmakerpathway.com. We have encouragement for on-air and promotions with our more than live and local guest series and more encouragement for local radio sellers with our encouraging sales success series, as well as free resources for anyone who is in radio today. We do not believe in locking things away on our website the way some consultants do. So please go to rainmakerpathway.com anytime and see what you can get for free from our team. Please do follow uh, the people that you see on stage at this event and look around the room to see people that you might connect with while you are here with us tonight live. Of course, we do encourage networking for your broadcast career. My name is Lloyd Ford with Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works. Many of the best companies in North America, they hire outside consultants so they don't get all their thinking internally. Our clients love our exclusive products like our Music Lab, which prevents music drift, our branding candy, which hyper-focuses your brand images for success, and our morning show fame development coaching that puts the accent and the action in the right place to create correct audience consequences. I call that ratings and revenue. If you know somebody who uh, needs some help, Please have them reach out, F-O-R-D at RainmakerPathway.com. First thing I like to do when we get together on Mondays is check in with Heather Froglier from Riverside San Bernardino. How are you, Heather? I am good. I um, saw some coworkers I haven't seen in a few years um, because I lifted my head up from my phone because Facebook and Instagram was down. (laughs) 
So nice. A whole day. What did you do with your extra time today that you would have spent doing that? Did you do nothing. other? <laughs> no, nothing. I, I ran music logs and I oh, did yeah. my show. The usual. Oh, yeah. yeah. You'll find something in radio to fill the time, right? Yes. And it was, of well, course, a great subject for content today. Everybody absolutely. was out. <laughs> I actually think it's an opportunity, too. So let, let's talk about something else that I saw recently with you. Let's talk about the 60 Angels and four years ago. Speaking of something that you probably never forget, uh, I actually hope that you can take us inside the event that y'all did. I love how involved KFROG always seems to be. How significant is your market's tie to what happened four years ago? Uh, well, Lloyd is speaking of uh, Route 91 Harvest Festival, and anybody that lives in Southern California knows that we are about three hours and change outside of Las Vegas. Um, so it's not unheard of for the majority of the country community in Southern California to go to Vegas for festivals and concerts and whatnot. And this uh, past Friday was the four-year of that horrible, horrible event, and uh, we held a candlelight vigil. Uh, this is our fourth time we've done it with the city of Corona here to come out and, and reflect and share love and positivity and stories together. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, we received coverage from the L.A. news organizations, um, ABC, Fox, television were out uh, for the uh, event. And it was just, you know, a beautiful moment. It was, you know, it's crazy to think it's been four years now, but um you know, we had about 10 staff members working uh, the event four years ago. And, uh, you know, it, we gave away a lot of tickets. And Brooks will attest to that as well for KSON in San Diego. Uh, a lot of our audience went there. And unfortunately, some did not come back. And that's, you know, just tragic. So, you know, it's really amazing how these markets are connected. And certainly for a big country music event like that, where you have a shooting, it's like, Mm -hmm. I mean, it got everybody's attention, obviously, but if you're sending tons of people there and you have staff members there, it has to be just mind altering, certainly in the moment, for sure. Oh, oh yeah. Uh, that night, you know, when we heard what was going on, uh, my PD at the time and my marketing director and myself, we were on the phone trying to track everybody down and we didn't stop mm -hmm. until we heard from everybody. So you can imagine it was pretty crazy. And in the broadcast area there are stations covering the event from sacramento to phoenix so a lot of our brethren were there and a lot of the artists and uh our label mates were mm. there uh some of them on stage when it was going on so uh very scary, scary times yeah. yeah all right so let's turn to something a little bit more positive you've got a great guest for us I do. She is badass Brooks. Brooks O'Brien. She's the APD music director at KSON in San Diego, of course. She's also the music director at The Wolf in Seattle. Uh, we work very closely together, and she is just one of those women that you admire. She's had a long history in radio, on radio, and thanks for being here, Brooks. You bet. And longer. Go ahead. I was going to say longer of a career than I even thought. I, I did the math when uh, when you said we were going to do this. And I was like, oh, good Lord, this has been a long time. <laughs> Give it to me. Give it to me. How, how long have you been in radio now? It's about 32 years full time. <laughs> and then and then add in uh, all the college years before that. So, sure. yeah, it's been a while. 
And a fun fact about Brooksy, she is, well, we, I call her Brooksy. So she's from <laughs> Minnesota originally. Oh, yeah, you betcha. <laughs> and um, I just so <laughs> admire Brooks. I'm so glad you're here. Take us through how you got your start in radio, how you got bit by the bug. Yeah. Um, you know, I always, I, I always run into people who tell me stories about how they, you know, loved a certain DJ and they had their, their radio in their room and they'd listen to them late at night and they wanted to be just like them. And that was not the way it was for me. <laughs> um, I, uh, I actually was uh, graduating high school and uh, going to go to college and needed a part-time job and was telling my parents and my mom worked, was a VP of a, of a railroad at the time. And she said, oh, I can get you some administrative job as a part-time thing. And my dad pulled me aside. He was in radio. And, uh, and Bill actually knows my dad. Um, uh, and he said, oh, no, no, no. You do not want to do that. I'll, I'll, let me talk tomorrow, and I'll, I'll try to get you a job at the radio station. Um, and so he did. He got me a part-time job at WLOL in Minneapolis. Um, he was the producer of the morning show at the time, Heinz and Berglund. Um, and so that's kind of where I got bit by it. I mean, I really, even though he had been in radio my whole growing up life, uh, was never what I was focused on doing until I got the part-time job there and realized uh, that it was fun and uh, and rewarding and that there was so many different things to it. Um, and so that that's kind of where it all started. How old were you? I was uh, 17, maybe 18 wow. when I got that job. Yeah. And that's a big market. You know, Minneapolis is nothing to sneeze at. That's huge. Yeah. I mean, you know, I was doing this was in the day when we actually did phone research uh, um, uh, at about what we'd started about five o'clock at night. And uh, and you'd actually call people and uh, and play the hooks down the line for them. Yeah. And and do the music research. Um, and so I was doing that. I was a, a promotion setup uh, person um, and and filled in for the receptionist when she was on vacation. <laughs> Everybody seems to, you know, wear a lot of hats. And, and that's the best way to get experience when you're trying to break into radio is by doing a little bit of everything. But how did you get from Minneapolis to San Diego? Um, well, it was it was quite the weird journey, actually. Uh, out of college, I wanted to live in a major city. So uh, I got a um, internship. I just applied to L.A., San Francisco and New York City. And um I got the New York City gig, um, and, and I went there, by the way, to do TV because my dad wanted me to try TV. He thought the money was in TV, which it probably was, but I hated it. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but it got me out to New York City, and my first full-time job actually was as a programming assistant at WYNY, the uh, country station when it was still located in um, in New York City on Broadway. Um and so I, uh, I became the programming assistant for them. I did that for, um, for about five years. And, uh, and then I, I moved back to Minneapolis. Uh, my parents were retiring to Reno and uh, I, I told them, oh no, I'm too old to follow my parents, but I didn't have a full-time job. So I followed <laughs> my parents to Reno, <laughs> uh, which is where I got my first full-time on-air job. And, uh, and I was in Reno for about five years um, doing on-air. Um, 
And that's where I got interested in being a music director as well. Uh, but I didn't get that until I moved to Las Vegas for my next job, um, where I went to be the evening host and, uh, and then got the MD position. I ended up being there for 11 years in Las Vegas and became the uh, morning show and, uh, and then uh, the program director as well. That's crazy, Brooks. You've done a lot. I know, right? Um, yeah, and that was uh, that was a clear channel station at the time, um, and and uh, you know uh, what started happening with clear channel stations around that time, uh, and so I ended up coming here to San Diego, uh, where I was hired as the APD, the music director, and um, host of the middays, um, uh, and then. Um, after middays, I got put on the morning show. I ended up winning an ACM for um, best morning show. Yes, girl. Uh, uh, and um, uh, then became then became program director of some of our other stations that weren't country. Uh, did uh, a greatest hit station and our AC station, and that brings us up to about the time when uh, when uh, Entercarm. Uh, uh, and you know everything changed because of COVID, mm-hmm. um, and now we're back to now. <laughs> That's amazing. I mean, what what would you say you get the most joy from? Is it doing the music and programming, or being on the air? Everybody has their favorite. Yeah, you know, for me, it was it was definitely on air at first, and the connection to the listeners and the community, and you know, seeing listeners coming out and being loyal and coming to events and things like that. I, I just thought was incredible. Um, then, then, you know, I started to learn about the music more and, and the artists and suddenly I was getting to hear music first. And then I thought that was the most incredible thing. And honestly, I I mean, I, I, I'm not sure I could choose either one of those. I never have quite honestly, um, in all the time that I've become a program director and done other things. Um, I've always kept a full-time on-air, uh, position because I really, I really do, love doing it um uh, and even when they've when when management has said hey you don't have to stay on the air i've said no nah, I, I i want to stay on the air and kind of quite honestly I, yeah and and well and you know it it does help uh when you're on the programming side too you know you get a better feel for what's truly going on on the air yes yes as a music director myself you and i both know there's a lot of numbers thrown at us every day and you know it's our job to play the best music and sometimes it means using our gut. So you know your San Diego audience very well. Do you usually trust your gut? For the most part, <laughs> yes. She says with a um, smile and a grin. And a <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, nobody's going to be right every time, right? Um, and I think that getting input from people, um, you know, outside of yourself or your or your small um you know, uh, a programming staff is a really good idea. I mean, people in the office, people in the music meetings, listeners, friends, uh, you know, hearing everybody's take on music, I just think makes a big difference. Different genders obviously hear songs a lot differently. Um, and you need to remember who you're programming to mm-hmm. in the audience, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously country leans very female. So if you don't have a diverse set of people listening to the music to make the decisions, 
then you're really doing your station a disservice, you know? Right, right. Um, and, and so, you know, one person won't always get it right, but I think if you get together, you know, a group of people and, uh, and judge the music that way and talk it out and, and find out the reasons why you're playing songs, you know, trust me, I've played plenty of songs that I don't like at all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and many of them have been huge hits. So it's like, you know, your job is to find the hit, not necessarily love the song. Right. And we have about a 50% chance of getting a song right each time. Right. Sometimes we miss. I can think of a couple songs. I was like, no, not a hit. And, you know, it went on to be a multi-week number one. But what do you hear these days? You know, with the music, uh, obviously, I'm talking specifically country right now. Are we leaning more classic sound? Are we getting away from bro country? Are the ladies taking over? Like, in your opinion, where is country? Yeah, there's a lot of new sounds, I think. Um, and, and, I'm, and I'm glad for that. I mean, I, I think it's good to, you know, have a little diversity. And, and, um, and I am happy to hear more traditional sounding um, songs as well. Um, uh, and, and I hear a lot more female voices, you know, there for a while, um, it was pretty hard to find a female voice on, on, uh, yeah. our country stations. Um, and, and, you know, there's more and more of that. And I think that's good. It speaks to who all is listening, um, as well. Um, but like I said, I, I mean, I, I think it's good to hear some of that traditional sound coming back, you know, the John parties of the world mm -hmm. and even Parker McCollum and, um, gosh, Chris Stapleton. Um, and it's good to hear a variety of female voices. Um, you know, I, I think when we, when we, um, when we worry is when we, when we start to sound exactly the same, right? Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned bro country, you know, and, you know, a couple of those artists work and then everybody thinks they have to copy it. And then all of a sudden that's all we've got, you know, <laughs> Um, uh, and so I, I think, I think we're going to, we're getting into a better place where, where we're getting a little more diversity and we're getting a little bit more sound and a little bit more traditional leaning and that sort of thing. Um, but I, I just think it's good that, that, you know, that it ebbs and flows and, yeah. and, and we have the different sounds. One of my questions for you was what a standout moment was for you when, you know, you knew you were meant to be in radio. And for some reason, I I feel like St. Jude is going to be somewhere on there for you because KSON is the master of executing just amazing St. Jude radiothons. But yeah. what is one of those standout moments where you're like, this is what I meant to do. This is a blessing. It is, it is those kind of things, you know, it's, you know, I watch, uh, you know, for us at KSON, um, the past few years, John and Tammy, our morning show, um, uh, uh, took that over um, and wanted to, you know, requested that they could actually be on the air for the entire time that we did that Radiothon. Whereas in years past, uh, you know, it was each jock did their portion of the show. Um, um, but to see, to see even that where, where, uh, a morning show is so passionate about something that means so much and makes such a difference in some people's lives, you know, um, to see them embrace that and that sort of thing. And, and, and so I, I think it's all those kinds of things, you know, um, I know when, uh, when I was in Vegas, um, 
there was just so it's not probably what people think at first when they think of Vegas, um, but there, you know, there's so much country music there. There's so many venues that they're bringing in so much music from so many different genres uh-huh. um, that we were constantly on the move and we were always doing something. I mean, I introed three shows one night during NFR. I oh mean, that's, that's how insane things were, you know, but, but to see all the people, you know, come out and embrace your station and, and, and be proud to be a part of the station and a part of the community. It's, it's, it's all those community ties and, and the, the emotional ties to, to the listeners and, and that sort of thing that, that really are, or what were any kind of standout moment for me that made me really realize that like, wow, radio is so much more than just playing music. You right. Know? Yeah. What excites you about radio today? Um, well, I think kind of the same that it always has. It's just, it's such a connection to people and community, um, you know, being an active part of the community and, 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 um, especially after, you know, this past, what, 18 months, almost two years now, um, people need that connection even more, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And radio has such a great ability to be that connection. Um, And so that's what's exciting to me when it comes to radio is just knowing that, like, all the opportunity that's there uh, and again, that just that it's it's so much more than just playing music or or just being at events, you yeah. know. Uh, who we like to ask about your mentors and people that you know took you under their wing when you were you know starting out, and even today, people that have mentored you have you know yeah. by example. And who are those people for Brooke? Gosh, there's a, there's a few. My very first PD was Michael Malley that was in New York City. Um, uh, he was the PD that hired me there. And, um, you know, throughout my career, there's been PDs that have given me opportunity, PDs that that have taught the importance of fun. Mike was one that, that gave opportunity. Um, you know, I was fresh out of college in my first full-time radio job in New York City, for God's sakes. And he let me write our um, countdown. Wow. And uh, so I wrote the countdown that was on the air in New York City when I was fresh out of college, you know. Um, But he had the trust in me, right? I mean, um, and that's that taught me an important thing that when people, you know, when you come upon people in this business that seem passionate about it and want to do it, but maybe don't have all the experience yet, you know, they have to get it some way. And, um, and it's important to, to give people that opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and Mike was a, a good teacher of that for me. Um, and like I said, another PD that just, you know, he was all about fun and radio is fun and it should be fun. And that's that's what help helps build passion and keep us in it. Well, that is definitely what the so, is all about. I mean, you know, it's sometimes it feels like it's a rarity to find folks that still have that, you know, that the butterflies in the stomach when they come in every day. And, it you know, it's a unique and special group of people that still do, you know, after all these years, you know, 
and have yeah. grown and adapted with the changes in radio and the new technology. And you are certainly one of those women that other young women look up to in this business. So Brooks, thank you for being here today and sharing your passion and love for radio. And then at the end, we're going to ask um, if anybody has any questions of you, if you'll stick around for a little bit, I'm going to turn it to Floyd. Thank I you. Mean, Floyd. <laughs> Floyd. That's one of those things. If you don't know this about me, uh, I do hate my name. <laughs> and the reason I hate my name is because it always causes people to have a mental meltdown. For some reason, the four letters L-O-Y-D and the four letters F-O-R-D causes people exactly. to go. Floyd, Lloyd, Lloyd, Floyd. I have people who call me Pink Floyd. That's your new name then, from now on. <laughs> uh, right. Great. I'm causing my own problem. I love it. Well, listen, thank you, Heather, and thank you, Brooks. Uh, you know, if you don't know this by now, you can catch Heather's show on the Cape Frog stream and a variety of others out west as well. The Radio Rally is our weekly Monday opportunity to visit with radio with our group, the Encouragers. Make your mark. If you haven't done this, please go ahead and like the group, the Encouragers. You can do that right here on the app while we're here. And of course, we do have at least two live events every single week that are designed to do uh, interesting things, help you grow your radio and audio career, and of course, encourage you and help you with networking as well. Our next guest, oh my, check this out. Well known by so many people who celebrate creativity and top flight radio personalities in our business. Many radio pros all across the country marvel at his short videos on Facebook, showing his quick wit, fast-talking entertainment on the air. He lives in that place where if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere, and it's no <laughs> doubt that he can make it anywhere. There's no one, absolutely no one, like our next guest. We're very excited to have him here. I'm talking about Broadway Bill Lee, who works at WCBS-FM in New York City. Bill, welcome to The Encouragers. How are you? I am fine, Lloyd. Can you hear me well? Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. Listen, when we look at your career specifically, and and I'm going to say your current work, too, we think, man, take us back to little Broadway Billy, right? <laughs> <laughs> Tell us how you entered the radio business. Can you do that for us? I actually was little Broadway Billy. Uh, I was probably five years old. I would play radio disc jockey in my bedroom. I, you know, set up uh, as much as I could. Finally, by the time I was seven, I think my parents bought me one of those Remco toys that was your own home radio station. And you could just broadcast out to the sidewalk. So I knew I wanted to do that as a little kid. And I loved the rock and roll that was coming out of the radio through 1958-59 when I was that age and I knew I had to have something to do with that well by the time the Beatles showed up on Ed Sullivan I kind of diverted to being in a rock and roll band and that took up all my time through high school and everything and by the time I got to college everybody kind of split off and wanted to do their own thing different kinds of music and I floated from major to major, really not interested in anything. So I finally realized, why don't you do what you wanted to do when you were a little kid? 
so I did. I uh, transferred to MassCom as my major, but more importantly than that, I also started going to a broadcasting school located at the number one top 40 station in Cleveland where I grew up. Uh, WIXY had their own broadcasting school, and I said, I'm going there. And it was great because it was in radio station experience that a kid my age never would have had the chance to get. So it was really cool. And I finally, after about you know five months at that broadcasting school, had a tape, sent it out, got a job offer in Paoli, Indiana, to which I had to say, oh, God, no. I had just gotten married. Uh, they were offering uh, – a trailer that cost $80 a week and I was paid $80 a week and I didn't see how we could make it on $80 a week. And uh, so I decided to go back to Cleveland and wait. And finally a position opened up when somebody got sick at WLYT in Cleveland Heights. And uh, I got that job and I managed to hang on to it. So believe that or not, that was 1972. And uh, I've been in the business next year, 50 years. That's so crazy. Uh, by the way, I kind of knew when she was talking about she's been in the business for 32 years, Brooks. I knew when you said that, I was like, oh, probably Bill Lee is calculating that right now. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just was like, oh, we're going That's somewhere, really, right? Yeah, it's such a small world, too, because Brooks and I have crossed in the same lanes in so many different areas. My wife actually is now in radio and she used to do the call out research at WLOL in Minneapolis when I met her and uh, WYNY in New York, good friends of mine that worked there many times. So yeah, small world of radio. The world, I always say this, the world is smaller than you think. It's not larger than you think. True. And by the way, you sort of melted my brain back there because I've got lots of questions. Like, I mean, first, it's easy to see. You're seeing all that stuff from Elvis and all the 50 stuff, and you're like getting excited because that was a real change in America right there. Mm -hmm. and, and a change in music excited a bunch of people. Then you got the Beatles. God, we can't even have that conversation. That had to really get things going. But, but you said you were in a band. What was the name of the band? And what, what did you play? Were you the singer? What were you? I was the bass guitarist and it wasn't enough for me. I always tried to get out in the spotlight and it just wasn't enough, you know, but uh, I was in a lot of garage bands and uh, the biggest band I was in was called Great Society. And, you know, nobody nice. ever, we were always on the verge. We were always on the verge of making it. But like I say, by the time I got to college, one guy wanted to do blues. Somebody else wanted to do yeah. prog rocks and, you know, you could never get you know, everybody together. Yeah, and bands just can't stay together anyway. We know this. So yeah. so listen, when and how did you become this Broadway Bill Lee? Because I know that that's not something that's really been forever with you. Uh, is there a story behind this name in New York City for you? Yes, there is. Let me start with a quick evolution. I, was, I started out using my real name because I just didn't care. It wasn't all about fame and fortune and success and being cool for me. It was all about the music for me. So I used my real name, Bill Lenke, you know, and it, <laughs> I used that right up until I got to Hartford and was the program director at TIC in Hartford back in 77. But by the time I got to KFRC in San Francisco, Jerry Cagle, the PD said, now, nah, now nah, we're going to call you Bill Lee. And uh, here's why. Because uh, the people in the all the Asians in in uh, Chinatown are going to think you're Chinese, and <laughs> all the black folks over in Oakland are going to think you're from down south. 
And by the way, huh. it's very easy to say and spell. So you're going to be Bill Lee. I said, okay, fine. Whatever you say, boss. So by the time I kept that on for several years until I got to New York, when I got to New York, um, <laughs> we were, I was at hot 97 in New York and we were moving the studios from the Kaufman Astoria studios in Astoria to Broadway, right uh, down from times square. So when we were making that switch, we had this big, huge switch in times square and Vanna white and I, and the morning show, um, oh, we're, we're all there we're ready to throw the switch and Vanna white turns to me on air before we're ready to throw the switch. And she says, Oh, we're going to have to call you Broadway Bill Lee from now on. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I just, using it. yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Who saw that coming? So yeah, listen, I, I think with, with what people know about you and, and how you sound and, and especially what you show us on Facebook as well, because I think you get lots of people looking at that and you would know better than me, but I bet it's a ton. Have you experienced good coaching in your career? The best, uh, to be honest with oh, you, the really? first several years of my career uh, were mentored by a programming consultant by the name of Bill Paris, who actually came to the first station I was working at taught me so much about not only programming and reading ratings books, but methodology, strategy, uh, on-air presentation, relevance rotation, that kind of thing. And I just ate it up, soaked it up like a sponge. And actually, by the time I left there, I was working for his consultancy. And Steve Kingston, who you may know, I oh, yes. 100 days, and owns his own radio stations now um, oh, in yes. Maryland. Uh, as well as David Tate, who uh, ran Rantel Research. Well, back in those days, we were all working for Bill Paris. And Bill would brought me down to be the program director of WCGQ in Columbus, Georgia. But on the weekends, Kingston and Tate and I would go into a market like uh, Tallahassee. And Bill had just gotten WGLF, uh, an AM top 40. And we're going to change the format. So we'd go in on Friday evening, we'd get there. We'd have to let the staff go at a meeting on Friday evening. We would put together the format that would start on Monday and call, be on the phone with all our, you know, everybody we knew in the business. Can you be here Monday? Can you get down here? I need an afternoon guy stat. You know, you got to get here. And we'd do that all weekend. Plus, you know, record the songs on carts at that time, as well as making sure all the levels were right, get the sweepers recorded, put in the liners, get uh, the format together, the clocks and everything they needed to do. The three of us, and with Bill's help, uh, the four of us actually would get this done by Monday morning, got a brand new radio station with a brand new sound and a brand new air staff. So you, we, you uh, see, you see kids, this is busy in radio. <laughs> Right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So so let's talk about passion. You talked about how you got into it for the music. But I want to know, are you as passionate about being on the air as it sounds when we hear you? Absolutely. And it's because of the music, because just about everything I do only sounds good if I'm doing it over music. And honestly, uh, the ups and downs that this business has had over the years has seen Many, many of my contemporaries fall by the wayside, first with the digital revolution, secondly with the uh, conglomeration, <laughs> I suppose. Oh, yes. And then 
And, and then thirdly, now with being able to understand how to digitize what you used to mechanicalize on your hands and doing everything else while you're talking. So it's, it has been a lot of transition, but I've always loved it enough to keep going and say, hey, this isn't going to stop me. In fact, I embrace it. And now the digital age has really given me the opportunity to do so many things I could have only dreamed about, you know, 20, 30 years ago. So, yeah, absolute passion. And the thing I love the most is when my, it it hits me in the ears because I'm really more of a producer than I am of mm. anything else. And when when the break sounds just right, when it hits the vocal just right, when it's just the right level over the music, not too loud, not too soft, so you can still hear it, but not being overpowering because people are listening to these songs in the car jamming with it turned up loud so you don't ever oh, want to yeah. be louder than the song, you know? So, mm. um, yeah, that, that stuff's still jazzing me. It's still, Why? you can't retire, you know? <laughs> Why do you think other people have fallen by the wayside, but not you? Is it because you're curious and you you want to develop the future for yourself? No, I could care less about the future for myself. To be honest, I oh. just love doing it. It's the only thing okay. I know how to do. And it, and honestly, it's, it's an extension of everything I always wanted as a child and as a young man. I always wanted to be part of the music, whether it was in a band you know, for a while, when I was a little kid, I was even an altar boy in church. You know, I wanted to be on the stage. And oh. I w so I was there on the stage and I rang the bells of communion. I mean, serious business. I love being there. And uh, it wasn't that I want to be famous or popular so much. It's just, excuse me, <clears throat> just that I want to be part of the music. I want to be part of the show. Nice. Now, when did you start developing your rhyming that happened when i became a night jock i had been the program director in columbus georgia and jock was called they were very close he would he would sound like that you couldn't tell what he was but he was just rapping and tapping and, and he i liked it i mean we got in trouble a lot because he was a little blue in his humor but he sounded great over record intros you know especially when hit the and so um and i went up at joseph at tic in hartford oh. check this out i was i was the program director for 96 days it was his first hot hit station and oh man i was also i was also the night jock so i he said you gotta i, I want somebody that really stands out at night i said all right i know how to do that i know what i can do and because i was so familiar with music i i know bars of music i understand lyrics of music i understand Ooh. how to make the spoken word sound like music so i was able to just slide right into that persona doing nights at ticfm in hartford i gotta tell you it sounds it I, I got a mythical kind of moment there where i thought well frank sinatra must be listening to us somehow i don't know how it works but right now you know that thing where he where he got into trying to figure out how do i sound like a trumpet how do i sound like the music you know yes, uh, yes. with his vocal so so let's talk about being different because being different is a big deal how different are you on the air and this is what i mean say between wktu and WCBS FM. What Bill Lee, how does he sound on those two different stations? Well, 
KTU was obviously very dance flavored, very urban flavored, very uh, Latin flavored. We had all of that. And with that kind of music, you have much longer intros, right? You've got disco mixes, you've got dance mixes, you've got, instead of having to get it done in 15 seconds, you got 45 seconds to go ahead and do what you're going to do. You've got a lot going on, man. Yeah, I was much more phone intensive at KTU. And the oh. people, you, there is no place in the world like New York for average listeners to turn into radio stars on the phone. And uh, I had a whole collection, like a whole stable of characters that I never paid, that I never really developed any sort of business partnership with, but they were always entertaining because they were real people. And at the Ooh. same time, they're, they're New Yorkers and they were different slices of New Yorkers. One is, um, you know, a, a tough guy. Another guy is a, a subway character. You know, people they're from all walks of life in New York because there's so many different neighborhoods. You got the Italian, the grandpa, you know, and you got everybody who would just call in and make my show for me every day. All I had to do is be quick on editing. Oh, my God. Do you still do any of that? Do you still have what I would call ringers, people that you go, OK, I know this is going to be a, a thing. You know, I did up until the pandemic, but, you know, life has really changed for us at CBS. We're all still working from home, and I'm not sure we're ever going back. Um, Only the morning shows at Odyssey in New York are on location. And so, you know, I have the ability, I can still... I can still do phone calls, especially for contests, but I have to have an engineer at the station to do that. I haven't got a phone mm. bank of 10 lines going, hold on, I'll be with you in a minute. You know, can't do right, that right, at right. home. Yeah. All right. So, so let's talk about being spontaneous. I want to know how spontaneous are you on the air? Not at all anymore. Obviously, okay. when I was working at a radio studio, it's like being in the hub of spontaneity because people are walking in. You got traffic people, you got business people, you got salespeople, you got people taking tours, you got fans who paid money to come up and see you. I mean, you got everything coming right at you. Not only that, but the TV screen in front of you and on the, you know, on the moment, absolute, you know, in touch with what's going on. And there's something always happening in New York. So it was always spontaneous, always. But the pandemic changed all of that. Now I'm extremely rehearsed. I have a lot of show prep to do. In the morning, I just start doing show prep at 8.30 in the morning. I finish it up at about 11. And then I, I go into voice track at by noon, and I'm done by 1.30. Wait, so, so ha- has your show gotten better or is it not as good? What do you think? <laughs> it doesn't matter what I think. The ratings have gone up. I'm serious. For like all okay. the, the, the last half of the spring book and the beginning of the summer, I was number one from my basement. <laughs> number one, 25 to 54 afternoon drive from my basement. Maybe that sounds like a liner right there, right? Number yeah, one from yeah. the basement. Bill, listen, you, you have earned a solid place at the top, the very top of radio personalities. You know, look, if you're lucky enough to have a really long, and I mean long radio career, and when you put up numbers like a 50, you've done a thing, okay? People get to know you in different ways. Is there something about your past that might surprise people that you've done that people may not remember today? 
1980 on December, was it December 8th? It was December 8th of 1980. I had just started working at KFRC in San Francisco, the blowtorch of the West Coast. Right. And I, it was the night John Lennon was shot. And oh, yeah, it was. I would check the teletype once an hour, go to the bathroom, have a smoke, check the teletype. And I went out there and I had to inform the San Francisco Bay Area that John Lennon had just been shot. And it was a moment where you have to bring in professional broadcast skills. You have to bring in sensitivity. You have to bring in an understanding of programming because the first thing I did was try to get a hold of the PD. No answer. Try sure. to get a hold of the assistant PD. No answer. Try to get a hold of the production director. Nobody was answering. And so I decided, well, I'm going to play every Beatles song in the library and take mm-hmm. phone calls, which is what I proceeded to do. And the amazing story that gets recounted usually every five to 10 years on the anniversary of John Lennon's death is that Dave Sholin, who was our midday guy at KFRC, was working for the RKO Radio Network. He had just interviewed John Lennon three hours before. Oh, and that's right. He, he had gotten off the plane in San Francisco, hopped in the car, turned on the radio, heard me announce that John Lennon had just died. And he called me immediately and uh, in disbelief, I recorded the call and we had, we spoke for about two minutes on the air and he recounted the story of what it was like with John just earlier in the day. And it was truly compelling. I'm, I'm still in shock about how things like that work and how situations like that evolved so that you're relaying the story firsthand to millions of people, and there were millions of listeners, but to KFRC Absolutely. back then, yeah. yeah, Absolutely, and you know, if you if you were live during that period of time, you can imagine. Even if you weren't alive when the Beatles first hit America and all that, you know, you knew how big that moment was, and it was very solemn, and it was like a huge wave. And I can only imagine being in your studios in San Francisco, what that must have been like for you, and especially uh, having that was- connection. It was like being Walter Cronkite during the death of JFK. I don't know right, what to do. Of course. I mean, because that was the source people were going to. They weren't going to CBS TV or uh, ABC TV until later. The first place they wanted to do uh, here was the radio and the Beatles music and the chance to call in and express their grief and shock. Well, and to, to have the wherewithal to immediately know, hey, we have to get rid of the format and we have to do yeah. this now. Big moment. Yeah. All right, so go ahead. No, go for it. Well, well, listen, I I wanted to change a little bit and talk about this because I think when people hear you and they hear so much personality, have you ever had programmers push back on some of what I'll call the more freewheeling Broadway Bill Lee throttle up that we hear on the air with you? Well, I have to be honest. I've only been fired once. For that. <laughs> well, it's proof you've been in radio, right? Well, no, twice. Come to think of it, twice. I've oh. been fired twice for that. And uh, the first time was when I was at TICFM in Hartford. I, <laughs> uh, what can I tell you? They, we wanted to get more topical. And, you know, because radio at that time before then was pretty jive. You know, you, could, you had mm-hmm. to intro every record and you had to have, 
didn't matter if they had content on every record. You introduced every record and you kept them, you know, you just related to the music and kept going with the music. You know, you'd have a relevance rotation where you'd talk about, you know, the people who were calling in and wanting to request that, or you'd talk about people in a certain area and what they were doing right now, like coming from a baseball game or, uh, you know, you'd talk about a promotion of what's going on on the radio, on your station and that kind of thing. But when they when this happened in about 1979, um, that the revolution of wanting to be infotainment, that's when the word came in, when PM Magazine and Entertainment Tonight, and that started happening. Radio actually started changing and adjusting their programming to match that. So they wanted us to be more conversational, which I can do. You know, I've done a lot of different formats. I can do conversational and, you know, do preppy stuff like what's happening. And you hear this even a lot today where I was on the phone with a guy who was 18 years old. He was going to the prom and this, you know, my subject was, you know, it's getting pretty expensive for these kids to get to the prom. I mean, my gosh. And he's on the phone with me and he says, yeah, it costs so much for this and then the limo for that and then her corsage and then this and that. And I said, yeah, that probably didn't even include drugs and rubbers. (laughs) (laughs) That got me ceremoniously walked out the door. Yeah, <laughs> that doesn't sound all that bad, Bill. Well, today it doesn't sound all that no. bad, but back in 1979, that was pretty bad. Well, yeah. let's talk about let's. Uh, before I ask you this next question, I, you know, you're making me think about other stuff. Styles change across time in everything that we do. Is there a style or a thing that you used to do on the radio that radio used to do that it doesn't do anymore that you miss? No, because I still do it all. <laughs> of course you do. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, that's, that's in all honesty, I use a lot of drop-ins that were a gift to me from Dr. Don Rose. And oh. he had a way of doing things when he started out at WFIL in Philadelphia. We didn't start there, but when he became famous there. Right. And then moved to mornings at KFRC. He had the best drops. And the reason I loved these drops is because they were consistent. They were almost like characters in the show. You got Mm. to know the drop-ins by heart. You got to know every one of them. And when I came back uh, to work at KMEL as the morning man, in 1991, Dr. Don was selling his house because he was moving to Arizona for his health. And I bought his house. I bought the house from really? Dr. Don. Yes. And he um, said, well, I, now that you're a morning man, I want you to have these. And he gave me a whole collection of his 400 drops. What a and, gift. Oh, no kidding. Not only that, but his personal notebooks and joke books and all that stuff. I mean, it's I could really open a Dr. Don. Wait, Rose wait, museum. You, wait, you still have all this? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Unbelievable. All right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so now, fortunately or unfortunately, or however you want to refer to it, I don't know what we do in COVID now, because is it over? Is it not over? What the hell's going on? We don't know. So before the pandemic. Let's do that. Okay. How much prep was involved in doing your daily show at WCBS FM? Not now. Cause you're saying now you do a lot more. Yeah. I, um, I did about two hours, about two hours before the pandemic. I mean, the whole time at CBS, it has gotten to the point where I want to be quick. I want to be, Oh, PPM. Correct. 
I want mm. to be able to get it done quickly. I want it to be, I want to have content every break. I don't want to just jive every break. If I'm going to jive, it better have content inside the jive. Uh, right. In other words, that's how I've been able to keep employed this long because nowadays no content, no job, uh, right. no style, no job. So my task has been the last several years, the last 12 years at CBS FM is to be stylized yet full of content. So I can get that sometimes with people on the phones because they were still, you know, New Yorkers and that's mm -hmm. real entertainment in a bag. But, uh, yeah, every break has to have content, and there's so much going on every day. You want every break to count. So interesting that uh, that that that's you. And when I think of you, you're not just accomplishing those things. You are truly a brand. Is that is that how you see you? Who's still not in the Radio Hall of Fame? <laughs> well, that's just Wait somebody's error right there. Hang on a second. Uh, I guess, hang on a minute. Oh, in this good. part of the All show. Right. <laughs> yes. Um, honestly, I think that a brand is something that people refer to you as. Uh, you could have, you could have a, you know, a PR wing of your life and have that right. go out. I've, I've never really had that. I've, I've had agents at times that really haven't done my career a whole lot of good. So I let them go. Uh, mm -hmm. I would say for the last 25 years, I've negotiated my own contracts, done my own social media, uh, all of that. So if there is a brand, I didn't really think it up or make it up. I'm just doing what I do. And if it turns out to be a brand, great. You're just Broadway Bill Lee. So who do you look up to as an on-air personality? Who wows Broadway Bill Lee? It's difficult because there's not a lot of guys who do music radio that have style anymore. But that's not to say I'm not wowed by people on the radio. No, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. It doesn't have to be today. Okay. Who wows Broadway Bill Lee? Oh, gosh, back in the day, the late Mad Daddy on WHK, whooping and a bumping on the mellow jello side. That's really where I learned how to rhyme. And then there was Johnny Holiday at WHK. And, oh, gosh, everybody at WABC. I used to DX them from Cleveland. Dan Ingram, one of the uh. greats, would get so much done in so few seconds, in between, in and out of jingles without stepping on any of them. I mean, the producer and me would just gag. <laughs> I mean, he not I only. I love that you say you're a producer. I love that because that helps me understand how you're creating Broadway building. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I can't tell you how hitting a winging, just winging a vocal, you know, <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Oh man, that's a cardinal sin with me. I mean, I've got to be as well produced as possible, but there are times I realize it sounds good. If you got people laughing under the vocal of a song, you know, that kind of, mm. but uh, we digress. Other people that I have really loved in my career, Jackson Armstrong, when we worked together at KFRC, Jackson Armstrong and I were roommates when we'd go on, um, remotes together. And yeah. I just hung around like, like a puppy dog around him because I listened to him when I was younger, when I was still a teenager, I would listen to Jackson Armstrong on WXY Cleveland. And he was just such a, 
he was misunderstood a lot in his career, but I, I think there's nobody who embodied so much understanding showmanship and, and style as Jackson Armstrong had. So he was always really big for me, but also right. the, and, the gr- go ahead. There's so many great, so many radio greats. Uh, when I was yeah, right. serious, serious XM, you know, I, I'd come out of a stall in the men's room and there's cousin Brucey working his wig on front of the mirror, you know, <laughs> right. Brucey! you know, and Oh God, I loved all those guys. Loved them. All right. And I, yeah. I, here's the best thing I got out of that. Broadway Bill Lee was once a puppy was once a, you know, he just said he was once a youngster, once a puppy. Okay. So can you talk about manufacturing fun? with your brain and your mouth as an on-air talent, what should talent really focus on uh, to make what they're doing really compelling today? Know what you're going to say and have something to say, but it's not going to do any good unless you realized all you have to work with is sound. Does that include something underneath you while you're talking? Does it include something that's going to set a mood? Is it a sound effect? Is it the way you use your voice? Are you talking about the new Amazon uh, Echo at Disney theme parks where they let you talk to one of the characters in their voices? <laughs> you got to be able to do Mickey. You know, you got to use everything <laughs> at your disposal to use the sound you have to paint the picture. I can get. I can get a laugh out of a 10 second break because what I do is I'll paint a quick, real, a real quick picture. And that picture with a sound effect in it will conjure up a picture in a, in a listener's mind. That's ridiculous. You know, almost like, um, almost like, uh, the roadrunner cartoon, you know, and all you have to do is hear that anvil thunk on the ground. You know, what's going on. You can see it in your, in your mind, you know, <laughs> that's right. It's part of yeah. your history, right? As a person, yeah. as a listener, it's part of your history. Now, how sure. much social media and extra activity are you regularly involved in outside of your on-air role? Not as much as I used to be over the years, obviously tons charities. I used to be the, my wife and I, she's in radio as well. Used to be the you know, New Jersey co-chairs, of the Juvenile Diabetes Research Foundation. So we did a lot of appearances and a lot of speeches and a lot of things going on there. Um, outside the radio station, not too much anymore, especially since the pandemic. Yeah. Quasi, our, our night jock and I did the San Gennaro feast down in Little Italy last weekend. And mm-hmm. it was so rewarding to see. There had to be a throng of 30,000 people in front of our stage all the way down Grand Street at Mulberry. Mm-hmm. And they were so receptive, not only to having us there, but just to be with them again. It, it was wonderful. It was really wonderful. People Funny want stars. to be part of something. Absolutely. Not only that, but they want to have their brain entertained and, and That's be right. in that, you know, that stimulation so, is really important, right? Oh, absolutely. And social media, I, I have to be honest. I've really kind of taken a break from it because I have found that the videos that I've done over the last five years, I haven't done them to create the brand of Broadway bill. I haven't done them really to, you know, be a star, but I, I have done them to teach radio, to educate radio, Ooh. because I realized there were no more jocks that understood these techniques and how to do these things. And so that's why I first started doing them. And honestly, I being out of the studio, being in my basement, worked for about mm, 
four months, four or five months, but I've got to learn some video techniques before I'm going to start doing a lot of those again. Oh, I'm, so I'm interesting. Really, yeah. I've got to learn some video techniques because it's just not interesting to see my guitars on the wall in my basement studio. You know, it's just, oh, I don't know. I think people might be more interested than you think. Now, look, you've <laughs> mentioned, listen, you've mentioned her twice and I think it would be wrong for us not to pull it straight out and go, okay, let's talk about this. Right. Name your wife. And where is she working? Uh, I am married to the lovely and talented Beth Bacall, who works as a fly jock. She works afternoon drive at 104.7 The Fish in Atlanta. And she's got a very well-known presence in that community. She's on the board of uh, the Christian Music uh, CMA, Christian Music Uh Association. And uh, she also works here in New Jersey at Star 99.1. So she's back and forth a lot, but she's like that. I mean, you know, gosh, if she had any more coffee, it, she, you know, do another job too. But oh, yeah, yeah, she's. We met in Minnesota at uh, WLOL in Minneapolis. Like I say, when she started doing research, at the same time she was doing stand-up comedy, um, oh. and she was just out of college. And she would host. She would be the host for shows. You know, when Pee Wee Herman or Jay Leno would come to town, she'd get to do the hosting privileges. So now, is she, she started, funnier than you? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> oh especially God. nowadays, especially nowadays. I but I but I have to say, she showed me a lot of technique about stage presence and I showed her how to do radio. So nice. it kind of worked out back and forth that way. It worked out real well. Hey, listen, in terms of that teaching and showing people how things are done, I'm just going to say this for everybody else. Thank you. I think that's a big deal. Now, can you give some good advice for on-air personalities who, A, want to get better in today's environment and in tomorrow's radio on air? I have noticed the people that I follow, the people that I really like in radio, so I can only speak from my own angle, but prepare yourself to be the multi-platform star. Yes. Unfortunately, unfortunately, what I did and I still do is concentrate all my efforts into what is coming out your radio and because that's what I love. That's what I know how to do. That's what I've always done. But the biggest stars today are those who know how to do TikTok videos. I didn't miss Instagram and Facebook today, by the way. I'm on TikTok. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that's, that's where I find my creativity. That's where I find people's creativity. And I find that the radio personalities on TikTok are so creative, so right. inventive. And when they combine their studio work with what they're doing on TikTok, it's even better. This dude, Brew, who's working at our station now out in L.A., I was, mm-hmm. I've been a big fan of his since he was on country, sta- on country in Detroit. I mean, I could tell this kid was going to be huge, the whole package. And I'm so glad he's working for us now out there. And there's a, a number of other radio personalities that are doing the multi-platform branding so well that it's become that they will have a chance to go much further than radio. But to the I person in the, radio, I, it's so important, right? Now it is. It's necessary. Yeah. 
That's why. Yeah. That's why. I mean, five years ago, when I started taping breaks and putting them on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, it was a novelty. You know, it's kind of like, oh, wow, right. look how he's using the Internet. Isn't that cool? Um, but <laughs> now they have so far surpassed me in the kind of things they're doing, the, right. the contest, the games they're playing, the little uh, scenarios and skits they're doing on the video, walking into the studio, getting it done on the radio and then finishing up off air. <laughs> I love this stuff. I mean, there is uh, a lady in St. Louis, Lux St. Lou on, <laughs> on TikTok, and she is something else. What a piece of work. I mean, I just laugh every time I see one of her videos. But that to me is that's the future. That's the present. And that's the future. It's already there and it's already happening. And the biggest radio personalities that are up and coming are all doing that and doing it well. It is so cool to talk to you. I got to tell you, one of the coolest things is that I can have a conversation with you where you say, I'm doing this 50 something years. And then at the same time, we can have this conversation where you're so passionate about where it's going, right? Where it's going yeah. excites you. I can tell that. <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, you know, it's everything evolves and it does. I kind of figure I'm going to be the last one out the door to turn out the lights on, you know, my kind of radio. And that's all right with me. It really is okay because I'll be honest with you. I've been trying to retire for the last four years and they keep saying, well, how many more years do you want to go? I go, well, God, you cut my work day in half. Now that I'm working from home, I don't have to schlep in and out of New York anymore. It's too easy to, to get rid of. I mean, my goodness, I love doing it. Why would I, why would I stop now? Uh, and so I continue to do what I do because I love to do what I do. And because they made it so easy for me, it's just too easy. Now, the hardest part of my job over the last 10 years has been getting in and out of the city, honestly. Right. Well, listen, I speak for a lot of people when I say I hope you stick around a little bit longer. Broadway Bill Lee, thank you for joining us on The Encouragers. I do hope you'll stick around for a few moments in case some people in our audience have some questions for you. Absolutely. All right. So every single week we have visits from radio pros in every different part of the country. We do it for a single reason. We are here to encourage you and encourage anyone making a living in the radio business today. This is where you can come and hear people you ordinarily might not get to hear in an intimate setting on Clubhouse. Talk about radio right now, and you can meet them on our Clubhouse events live. Follow the people on the stage here on this event right now. And of course, look around the room for some other folks that you also can connect with and network with. Our purpose is to encourage and networking is a big part of that. Don't forget next week, Monday, October 11th, Becky Dom Ian. Man, she's going to have to tell me how to say her name right. SVP Market Manager, Odyssey in Greater St. Louis. Also, Scott Harold is going to be with us. He is the program director and morning show host at SOS Radio in Las Vegas. And you don't want to miss a thing that either one of them are going to tell us about what's happening in radio now and what the future is going to look like. We'll be here 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific next Monday. We are going to open up the room in case there are questions that you have for our guest right now. Just push the button at the bottom 
of your screen. You'll see the little hand looks like a notepad. It's probably an iPhone or an Android device. Uh, you can use that to raise your hand if you want to speak and ask somebody on our panel a question. We'll bring you right up onto the stage. We do ask that you mute your mic until we call on you. Check in anytime for the latest updates as we continue to add guests. You can check out our fully updated schedule at rainmakerpathway.com. That's also where you'll find fresh and free resources to encourage you or anyone in the radio business. We don't lock away anything on our website because we're here to encourage you in your career. And of course, we care about the people in the radio business. Look for our free blog section at rainmakerpathway.com. Uh, get the hookup and share it with your friends. Also, don't forget, we're headed back to New York City. Oh, yeah, we are. Don't forget, you can join us Wednesdays on Clubhouse Live for Innovation and Audio with Skip Dillard, who's with WBLS and Hot 97 in New York City. As usual, we will have two guests, but just like normal for Innovation and Audio, only one of those guests will be from radio itself. The other is usually someone who handles and works consistently with Innovation itself, and they may or may not be tied directly to radio or even audio itself. It's our way of giving you a different creative perspective about change, about how things are evolving, about creativity itself, and of course, innovation. This Wednesday, just two days from now, on our live innovation and audio event, we will have Amy Davies, who's the CEO of First 30 in Toronto. You would know about that, right? Wednesday, 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific. So right now, let's just go and ask some questions of our guest. We're going to talk questions with Broadway Bill Lee and Brooks O'Brien. And right now, uh, John, you have a question for somebody on our panel. I just wanted to comment to Broadway. It's great to hear you. And, Thank you, John. Yeah, and uh, we should talk sometime soon. Um, I was just starting my radio career out when you were on TICFM, uh, where I eventually attained the goal of working there, too. Do you remember the time that I knocked on your door at KFRC when you were on the air? Probably not, but I'm sure if I rerun the videotape, I'll recognize you. <laughs> I don't know, yeah, John. I it was so many. You know, and, and it's from around the world, to be honest with you. I've had fans from absolutely around the world come knocking on my door in the studio and go, come on in. It's a party. Yeah, in yeah, come on you, in. yeah, it was a 15 minute visit, so it was a blur. But then uh, several years ago, you and I were able to have lunch with our our dearly departed buddy, Harry Nelson. So, oh, dear goodness. Yeah. Yeah, John. Anyway, yeah, no we'll, doubt. We'll connect soon, Bill. Thank you. Good to hear you, John. You too, Bill. All right, so Slick, you have a question for somebody on our panel? I do, Lloyd. Can you hear me? I can. Okay. Hey, Bill, got a, 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 got, it's more of a request, really. I uh, Now that Facebook and Instagram are working, huh, uh, would you be so <laughs> kind as to post some images and maybe some videos of your setup and your gear? Because I'm nosy. 
You know, uh, most of the video that I've, I've done, I show that, you know, I'm using a, a little Yamaha processing unit and the Rodecaster Pro for my mixing and drop-ins and two computers, you know, one with info and the other with, uh, you know, my uh, setup to back to the station. So it's not too much, but sure, I, I can. Like I say, I, I haven't done as many because they're starting to bore me a little because it's there's more I have found and this has just been from the research that I've done on the uh, social media platforms themselves, that the response really seems to come obviously from radio people around the, around the globe, but it has a lot to do with equipment and it has a lot to do with the radio studio. And without that, you know, I've just got my little equipment here like you got in your bedroom. But the thing is, is in a radio studio, it's a whole nother ball game. And I kind of miss being able to do it as well as I used to for that very reason. That is so yeah. fascinating that you you have that with you. So I'm going to change here for just a second and talk to Brooks and Heather. I have a rare opportunity to ask you two a question, and I'm going to do that right now. Okay. Uh, how often do y'all end up in the same California country show or does that ever happen because these cities are sort of connected in california i'll let you take that brooks <laughs> well i'm trying to think have 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 we um usually if the sh you know like oh if stagecoach yeah stagecoach is one where we share a broadcast trailer together yep obviously we do uh music um what do you call it? showcases with labels together uh, mm -hmm. because we are both with odyssey and um you know if if our schedules allow we can go to la together and see some of those shows but not a ton i think brooks and i are at that point where <laughs> we're really picky <laughs> on the concerts we go to <laughs> True. it's so hard right because you only have so much time so yeah. broadway billy i gotta ask you this um are you are you viable in country ever do you ever do that as actually I did when I was down in Columbus, Georgia, the afternoon guy would have to take off once in a while. So as soon as I finish, I'd go over and, and it was a sign off too. is the mighty Heidi W H Y D. And, uh, I would go over and do a couple hours and finish off his show for him. So he could take off and I got to do it. And then another time when Beth was working at young country in San Francisco, my wife, Beth, um, she was on maternity leave. So I said, you know, what would be really cool because I was doing mornings on KMEL. Um, I said, why don't you come in and why don't you let me come in and do your shift at night? She was doing seven to midnight. So I came in and, uh, and, and did the show for her on young country. And it was a hoot. It was a wait, 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 you were doing mornings and you did the night show. What the heck is wrong yeah. with you, Bill? I know. Not only that, but mornings <laughs> was hip hop. I mean, KME oh. was the very first hip hop station in, in the country before Hot 97 went. And we, I mean, had a loyal audience. And once in a while, we'd cross over because, you know, Beth would call in with something I had said. And, you know, it became a bit on the morning show. And then when she got pregnant with our second daughter and had to take maternity leave, <laughs> I went in and did her show. And it was, you know, it was a kind of back and forth thing. And fortunately, both companies, CBS Radio owned KFRC at the time, and they also owned Young Country. And um, Liggett, 
legacy. Uh, one of the it became Shamrock actually wound up on oh, right. uh, KMEL. And uh, so they were all real good about it. They didn't care. They thought it was extra promotion. And certainly we didn't really share numbers or ratings with each other. So it wasn't a problem. But yeah, I I can't tell you how many great country shows I got to go to backstage because of my wife. It was awesome. I have to tell you that if you've been listening to this particular live uh, event on Clubhouse and you have not learned anything, you did not do your part tonight. We do try <laughs> to keep things to about an hour. One of the great things about our live events is that you can listen. Nobody's required to ask questions. We do appreciate it when you do. Thank you for joining us every Monday at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific for the Radio Rally. Remember, if you know somebody that you would like to hear as a guest on the Radio Rally, it's simple. Just email me, Ford, F-O-R-D, at RainmakerPathway.com. See how I avoid that first name because that messes everybody up. Now, we do hope that you have a great week. We do this to give you a boost on Mondays, uh, like we like to say at Rainmaker Pathway Consulting Works and the Radio Rally. Once you have a radio station, you can get anything else you want. Do I believe it? Yes, I do. A big thank you to Heather Froglier for being a great co-host for this event every single time we open up these microphones. A thank you to Brooks O'Brien and Brooks. Broadway Bill Lee for being our patient and giving guest. A very special thank you to Joe Kelly for producing the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast, which should be available very shortly. Uh, actually, you can get it anywhere now, but this live episode will be available within a half hour or so. And thank you to JustJoeProductions.com for creating our audio footprint and distributing our podcast. Please do share our podcast. We have two, the Encouragers, the Radio Rally podcast and the Encouragers innovation and audio podcast with others that you know who are interested in growing their careers in audio. Both podcasts are available on Apple, Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember, be kinder than you have to be. Thank you for being a part of the Radio Rally with the Encouragers, and good night.